Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. When all these leaders from all these nations gather in my old hometown of New York City at the United Nations and then they start flying around my country, that's right, my country, going to the White House, going to Congress, begging. That's all they do is beg the leaders of other countries, either that or threaten. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening right now. Does anybody believe that the uh, fighter jets that are currently flying around Taiwan are just flying around Taiwan? Or do you think that they are actually practicing? Because there's been a big surge in this activity. And what they're trying to figure out how to do is how to block the United States military from responding to an invasion. That's pretty serious. And yet, what do we see? We see all these world leaders sitting around, sipping their martinis, and talking trash. Really. We see Zelensky begging Congress for money. I don't even know why he bothered to beg Congress. The Biden administration already said they're going to give him $24 more million today. You know, Zelensky's going over to the White House. I don't know if they're going to have lunch or... Uh, what what they're going to do. And I have to be perfectly frank. While my heart breaks for any country that's being invaded by another country, in this case, that would be the Ukraine invaded by Russia, we got some serious problems here in this country. There's some serious problems happening all around the world right now. For instance, these Chinese fighter jets that are practicing around the air and the waters around Taiwan this month. And of course, what are we hearing about that? Nothing. It's, it's quiet. Beijing is not talking about it. And that tells me this is a political message that's being delivered. And the Taiwanese authorities and all of their defense analysts say this is not just a show of force. This is training. They're trying to sharpen their ability to encircle Taiwan and then to neutralize what few natural advantages the island actually has and most importantly, to block us, the United States, from coming to the rescue in the event of an invasion. So while we're busy worrying about a potential, I don't know, decimation of the Ukraine, and pumping as much money as we possibly can into these madmen oligarchs who don't seem to care one whit about what's happening to their country. I know they put on their fatigues and they march around and look like they're really uh, important people. 
But really, as the people are dying, they're over here dining. I didn't see a lot of Taiwanese authorities over here dining during this last couple of days. No, because they're scared to death. They understand that the CCP regards Taiwan as part of China and have vowed to take control of it, and I'm using China's words, by force if necessary. Earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday, Taiwan's military detected not 10, not 20, not even 50. No, they detected 103 Chinese military aircraft in areas all around the island. That's, uh, you know, that's pretty big. 40 of them entered the island's air defense identification zone. And then the next day, 55 Chinese aircraft flew sorties near Taiwan. And just this month, I think it was maybe three weeks ago, two weeks ago, there was a Chinese aircraft carrier and about two dozen warships. It's a pretty big grouping, an unusually large grouping that sailed southeast of Taiwan in the Western Pacific. So these Chinese excursions have included a number of Y-20 transport and refueling aircraft flying alongside jet fighters just to the east of Taiwan, which tells you that they are working it out. They're working on improving the long-range combat capabilities. That's why you have refueling aircraft. Now, Taipei knows that their geography is one of their greatest advantages should there be a Chinese invasion because they got these steep uh, mountains that form a natural barrier so that enemy troops coming from the west will be stopped. And the reason that means so much is because if they can hold out long enough, the U.S. will send help. That's always been the understanding. And there's forces, U.S. forces in the water surrounding Taiwan. But you know what? They've made a priority of blocking those ships, of preventing a response by the U.S. And this is a strategy that I I just read about it yesterday called Anti-Access Area Denial, A2AD. And they're getting better and better. The CCP ain't playing. We read a piece by Ben Lewis, who's a military analyst in Washington, D.C., who has been tracking the activities of the People's Liberation Army for a long time. At least the last year or two, I've been reading them. And he said... The PLA's likely courses of action and plan for proper response measures. The closer their aircraft are to Taiwan, the stronger our countermeasures will be. So this is where we are. We got Zelensky with his hand out, actually his hand in your pocket, in the taxpayer's pocket, dining at the White House, haranguing the congressman, And then we got the media that cannot, they're just salivating over a government shutdown. And they're making the Republicans very, very nervous 
about standing up for what's right for the American people. And unfortunately, now somebody asked me yesterday in an email, why is it that Democrats walk in lockstep, never give up, never back down, and Republicans whimper and cower and hide? Well, they didn't exactly say it that way, but I'm saying it that way. And I said it's because they have no testicular fortitude, not the men, not the women. They talk. They talk a big talk. We're not going to let this happen, and we're going to get the, you know, the corruption, Biden. Oh, oh, we got a, we're, we're, we've launched an impeachment inquiry. Really. And you're already allowing the media to scare you to death about a government shutdown. I don't know how many times I have to get on the air. And I feel really like very much alone these days, with the exception of maybe Dan Bongino. I, I, I am living in this very little isolated bubble where I'm trying to counteract all of the garbage that's being thrown at the American people by the mainstream media. And it's a large task. You know, I got an hour. I don't know that I can do it in an hour. But I just, I, I look at the headlines today. And you would think, first and foremost, you would think we'd never been in this position before. Never before has there been the threat of a government shutdown. That's a lie. When Rush was, was alive, boy, do we miss Rush now, right? When he was alive, he would say, what do you think will happen if there's a government shutdown? And then we saw it play out during the Gingrich-Clinton years. Pretty much business as usual. You know, some employees of the federal government, they might have to stay home. Welcome to my life. Welcome to your life. Welcome to all of our lives in 2019, thanks to COVID-19. Okay? Welcome to our lives. We've been there. We know what it's like when you're told to go home, no work. Maybe you get some, you know, check from the government. A couple of grand here, a couple of grand there. Meanwhile, your mortgage is due. Your kids need food. They're not going to school anymore, so you can't even work at home because your kids are running around. And I'm supposed to feel bad if some bureaucracies, some government agencies, which are bloated and have too many employees in the first place, shut down for a couple of days, shut them down. And let's see how many of them we can get along without. That's my idea of a good answer to the media when it keeps going, oh, the dysfunction, oh, Kevin McCarthy, oh, he's being held hostage, oh, we don't know what to do, the White House is watching, they're so happy because the GOP is so dysfunctional, oh, the government shutdown, ooh, uh, you know what? What a gut punch they got today. I have to admire some of these guys who said, guess what? We're not going to be held hostage anymore by this uh, you know, funding the Pentagon, funding the Department of Defense. That's usually the way they get out of this, you know, the, the, the liberals. And that's a problem. But why on earth did Speaker McCarthy not anticipate that this is exactly what was going to happen? That there is a, you know, right now they just... Well, it was actually, I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene and four others voted with the Democrats to block the Pentagon funding package because they knew that it would really mess things up and you'd have total chaos. You see, because Kevin McCarthy 
one of the weakest speakers in my life, and his leadership team that really only has a, you know two guys on it that have any gift, or two, two guy gal, they thought they had the votes to pass the rule for the defense plan because they filled it with all these conservative-friendly policies. But the critics voted against it in protest because they want deeper spending cuts. Why do they want deeper spending cuts? Because that's what they promised their constituents. Voila. You know, maybe it's time to stick it to all these rhinos and to stick it to the Democrats and say, we're shutting it down. And, and if we have to take responsibility for you, we'll take responsibility for it. We're standing on principle. But instead of that, they go like, oh, the rebels, oh, why can't they just line up and do what they're told? I mean, McCarthy said, I'm just going to keep working. I'm never going to give up. I'm never. No, it's not a matter of giving up, Kevin. It's a matter of, of smelling the coffee and realizing that there's a handful. That's all. Just a handful of guys and gals up there who understand that the American people are sick of you doing this. We are sick of you telling us you're going to reduce spending. You're going to demand spending cuts. You're going to challenge the deep state. You promise and promise and promise. And then when push comes to shove, you go, well, not this time. Maybe, maybe next time. Hey, I give credit to any of them that are standing up and saying not now. You know, I'm supposed to feel bad. I had a news report that said, oh, Kevin McCarthy, last night he spent over two hours meeting with his fellow Republicans trying to find common ground. Two hours? Am I supposed to feel like some kind of way about two hours? How many hours of overtime do you have to work if you run your own small business and the government's constantly trying to impinge on your freedoms? So, you know, forgive me if I have no sympathy for them. I have no sympathy. And, and, and Chuck Schumer, he got what he deserved because that piece of garbage from Pennsylvania was the leader pro temp of the Senate yesterday and he did it in shorts. We're the laughing stock of the whole world. Fetterman did it in a pair of gym shorts. I'm all for relaxed uh, dress codes. But if you're going to be the Senate pro temp president, put on a pair of slacks, you moron. Anyway, I guess obviously you can see I'm, I'm, I'm armed for bear. Let me take a break. I want to remind you all that... Uh, if you download our app, you can participate in our contests, and there's some good stuff, giving away good stuff, good prizes. And if you don't want to download the app, some people are funny like that, then just go to the website, 850wftl.com. Quick break. I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So that's kind of where we're at when it 
comes to the gutless, uh, no testicular fortitude Republicans in the House who are all kinds of nervous because the mainstream media is accusing them of not caring about the military and the failed defense spending vote and oh, they're, they're just rebels and they don't care about the American people. It's the exact opposite, in my opinion. These are the handful of people who do care about the American people. And they know we're sick and tired. We're, we've been lied to. We've been hamstrung by this government and the bureaucracies within it for far too long. And it's time, it really is. To, to, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've lived through these government shutdowns. You've all lived through them. What happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, crickets. Nothing happened. You know, a couple of people who worked in those big bureaucratic offices up in Washington, D.C., they didn't get a paycheck one week, but they got it later? Okay. You know, sorry. But uh, not that sorry. Not that sorry. You got to be willing to back up what you told the constituents. You see, the one thing that they really hated about Donald Trump, and, and we know this, right? You, you don't need to be a political analyst to figure this out. They hated the fact that he did all the things, for the most part, that he said he was gonna do. Things that they always promise, but never do. You know, he said, hey, I'm gonna bring manufacturing jobs back to America, and I'm gonna put tariffs on China. And oh, you can't do that, even though we told people we would do that 10 times, but you can't do that. You can't actually do that. And he did it. How many times did I hear, I think the last five, six presidencies, we're moving the embassy of our ally, Israel, to, we're gonna move our embassy to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel. Well, we can't, we can't do it. You know, Bush said, we can't do it right now. We don't want to start a problem. And, and Obama said, well, you know, the, how do you think the Palestinian people are going to be? Come on. Donald Trump said, I'm going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And everybody said, oh, you can't do that. There'll be blood in the streets of Israel and you'll never get a, a, you know, a Jewish person to vote for you again and blah, blah, blah. And he said, I told the people I was going to move. The, it's the right thing to do. I'm doing it. And he did it, you know. We got a little bit used to that. That whole concept of keeping your word, we liked it. We thought, hey, this doesn't feel so much like being raped, which is what it feels like every time a politician tells me they're going to give me something, do something for me, hold back something, change something, and then they go right up to Washington and don't do it. And, and they want me to like applaud the fact that they didn't do it. That's what's really crazy. I'm supposed to give him a hand. <laughs> that ain't going to happen anymore. You must refuse to comply. You must refuse to applaud them. How about that? It's enough already. Stand up. Listen, let the voters decide. I got news for these conservatives or, or these wannabe conservatives. Call yourself a conservative. You come home to your constituents after having done the right thing, and you will be supported. They're not going to run from you if you do the right thing. If the border were closed, everybody would be cheering right now. You know, I got to listen to them today, to this Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader in the House. They're cutting the funds to the Department of Homeland Security, and we've got people pouring over the border. Well, whose fault is that? That's not the Republicans' fault. It's not Donald Trump's fault. That lies right at the feet of this administration. You know, our borders are, Kamala Harris, 
fat lot of good she did. And our president, we got to come up with more equitable ways to get more people into the country quicker. Even if they're bringing fentanyl, even if there's child sex trafficking going on. I just saw another video of what's happening in the United States of America, in my country, with these like mini concentration camps with child slaves in them. That's right. They're being warehoused in my country. These kids who coyotes, you know, steal and bring across the border, promising their parents all kinds of, uh, oh, we'll get them into a nice family. Everything's going to be okay. We'll take them over to their Uncle Javier. And the next thing you know, these kids are slaves. And, and nobody wants to stand up. Instead, it's like, oh, I'm sure that's the Republican's fault. Must be, right? And they just sit there shaking their heads like a bunch of stupid puppets. It's really, it's, it's mind-boggling and it's infuriating. It just is. You know, I, I cannot listen to any more of this uh, CRT, politically correct, the woke crap. I just can't. I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs in this stuff. Matter of fact, it, after this, this break, I've got Hans von Spakovsky coming on. I want to talk about this race-based admissions policy that the United States of America now claims like we have some moral high ground for doing this. In other words, racism is now cool as long as it's the right race. If you'd have told me this when I was coming up in college and grad school and taking classes in political science and world politics and it was starting to turn a little bit weird, but I never in my life would have said, yeah, the day will come when like, you know, it's more important to the leaders of our military. We now have a new chairman of the Joint Chiefs, right? This guy thinks the most important thing to have military readiness is DEI. We need more black soldiers. We need more women soldiers. We need more Asian midgets. We need more transgendered. So that's his idea of how to get a, a really mighty military. Meanwhile, in China, while they're flying jets around Taiwan, they're laughing their behinds off because trust me, they're not the least bit concerned with how many transgendered um, uh, airplane pilots they have in China. Only we're concerned about that. And that's why we're the laughing stock. All right, let me take a break. When we come back, I'll be talking with Hans von Spakowski from uh, the Heritage Foundation, and we're going to talk about this race-based admissions nonsense that continues to go on in spite of the fact that we all know it's wrong. Stay right where you are. You know how upset I am, first and foremost, because I'm watching what's happening all over the world and how ill-prepared I believe my military is. But one of the things I've always been confident was about we have some of the best institutions to raise up mighty warriors, including West Point. So when I saw an article and my friend Hans von Spakowski from the Heritage Foundation, he is the election law reform initiatives, he's a senior legal fellow over there at the Heritage Foundation, and I saw that he's as upset as I am about all this race-based admissions garbage that's going on. How are you doing, Hans? Long time no speak. Well, uh, Joyce, I'm doing great. And yeah, it's been too long since we talked. <clears throat> and there's so much to talk about, but I, I really have to begin. You know, I said today earlier that I'm looking at these fighter jets flying around Taiwan. I don't think they're just like taking, you know, flights. I think that they're pre preparing, they're practicing because they have every intention of raiding Taiwan. And I got a military that now has a joint chief of staff who thinks that the most important thing we can do is have more transgendered, uh, I don't know, uh, midgets in, in the military in order for it to be mighty. It's crazy. 
Well, it, it, uh, yeah, look, that's a real problem. I mean, not, not only is that a problem with the people who are heading our military, including General Milley, but um, look, this has caused a huge problem in military reenlistment. People don't want to join because of all the wokeism uh, that has been injected uh, into the military. And, you know, one of the things that's been happening is uh, West Point uh, has now for years been uh, using racial quotas in their admissions policies. And they are blatantly arrogant ab- about it. And that's what has resulted in a lawsuit uh, that just was filed two days ago by Students for Fair Admissions. Students for Fair Admissions is the very same group representing Asian American kids who successfully sued Harvard University and University of North Carolina because they were discriminated against. You know, Mm -hmm. Harvard and UNC kept them out of the schools, uh, not because they didn't have the grades or the test scores, but simply because they were Asian Americans and the schools didn't thought their Asian American population was too big. Well, West Point has been doing the same thing for years. They're even more blatant about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they set specific racial quotas, and that's what they use when they're considering uh, students for admission. The prestigious West, you know, West Point. I, I mean, I remember when I was in high school that there were a handful of kids who had long history, families who'd been in the military for years, and these kids would break their behinds and ROTC and everything else. All they wanted to do was go to West Point. I never once thought, I hope they're the right color. Nobody paid attention to that. They were looking for the best caliber men. At the time, there were no women going in. The best caliber men to be soldiers and lead this nation's military. Now you're telling me it's more important if they're brown or if they're uh, a female or if a guy, you know, now we have to be concerned they might just be not sure if they're male or female. It's frightening. No, it, it is, and it should be, because the whole point of these military academies is to, frankly, get the best, the most qualified individuals to lead our military so that we not only protect the national security of this nation, but we do it with the least loss of lives. And when you instead are picking individuals because of their skin color, you're you're losing that. And look, this is a very big deal of, of all the people who get nominated. And remember, this is part of the second tier. Um, in order to even be considered at West Point, remember, you have to be nominated either by the president, the vice president, or a member of Congress. Right. Once you've been nominated, that's when West Point starts applying these racial quotas, and they only take 10% of all the people that have uh, applied. And if they're using racial quotas, that means, well, they may not always be picking the best person for a job, uh, I mean, for admission, regardless of mm-hmm. their color, because that's exactly what they should be doing. They should be considering people regardless of their color or ethnicity. Absolutely. Race, ethnicity, gender. What are the, you know, what happened to us? Right. When, you know, when did this all become, uh, well, we know when it began. And, and what's so frightening to me is I look at this picture of, 
for instance, uh, unfortunately, I didn't know any better, and my children went to some of these Ivy League institutions, and I spent a fortune to have them turned into like woke zombies who don't understand the value of an education, didn't even get a good education. I got a better education at City College of New York than they got at Harvard and Columbia and Stanford and Yale. And, and I watch what's going on, and I think we are weak. The world is looking at us right now, and they've got to be laughing at Secretary Austin and, you know, these speeches that he makes. And now, you know, today they're making the congressional Republicans, the handful of them that have some guts and some testicular fortitude and are standing up against the speaker, they're making them look bad because they said they're not funding the defense part of the bill. And... Really? Maybe that's because they don't want to fund abortions in the military, but with taxpayer right, dollars, right. you know, how did we? No, we, that's right. And, and let me tell you something about that. And this shows you how deceptive the media is. Yeah. If you read any kind of media report on Senator Tuberville of, of Alabama, you'll always read that he's put a hold on military promotions, mm-hmm. that he's preventing military promotions from going through. That is an absolute lie. What Senator Tuberville has said is that any time a military promotion is being considered by the Senate, he won't agree to unanimous consent. Right. Unanimous consent is when all of the officers say, oh, no, we, appro- we approve of this bill or that nomination. Therefore, you don't have to hold a vote on the floor of the Senate. All he's saying is, is that if you want to promote any particular individual in the military, uh, senators have to actually report to the floor of the Senate, and there has to be a debate and a vote on them. Uh, obviously, Chuck Schumer could do that anytime he wanted to with with key uh, promotions, but he, he refuses to do that and instead blames tu- Tuberville for preventing promotions. Right, and then allows uh, John Fetterman to get up there and be the sen- Senate pro temp president in a pair of of, of gym shorts. I mean, we are the laughing stock of the world. And, and no, I'm just, we, we are. Yeah. We are. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't understand it, you know. And then I got to face the fact that we have an upcoming election, and this, of course, is definitely your wheelhouse, and as a former member of the Federal Election Commission, and the American people, my audience, no confidence in this electoral process, no trust that things are going to be fair and equitable in 2024. I've, I've lived through a lot of kind of crazy elections in my life, but I've never seen so many people telling me, I can't participate, I don't trust the process. Scary. I know, but I, look, I understand their frustration, but um, they should not allow that to keep them from voting. And for anybody who says, oh, there's not going to be a fair process, look, in in um, in Florida, remember, uh, DeSantis won the governorship in record numbers, someone that the left positively hates. Mm-hmm. If they had been, if they were able to actually control elections and steal elections in the way some people unfortunately think they can, uh, DeSantis wouldn't have won. Mm-hmm. The same thing in Georgia. Remember, um, Brian Kemp was reelected governor up against Stacey Abrams, the darling of the left. Mm-hmm. But he won. And that's because states like Florida and Georgia, look, they've actually improved 
the security of the election process. The Florida legislature has done a lot about that with, with, with DeSantis uh, pushing them along. Same thing in Georgia. So folks should not allow their frustration to make them think it's not worth it to go vote. Let me tell you, in the next election, mm. every single vote is going to count. Yeah, I agree. And I keep telling them we need to have such massive victories that they can't be overcome with a little tinkering because there's always been tinkering, (laughs) you know? So what we just needed to be big enough, like Ron DeSantis's victory was in the last election so that you, you can't, you can't just turn the lights out at 11 o'clock and hope that you can change all the numbers. So I'm with you. I say we have to vote. I say vote, uh, you know, vote early. They're now looking for, people to, to on the Republican side of the aisle to get involved in this, you know, uh, absentee ballots, because you can see it all coming already as masks are starting up again. And before we know it, we're all going to be sheltering in place and they're going to have a field day. And, and I tell my right. people, we've got to be a proactive. We've got to get out there and get if, if there's going to be ballot harvesting, then we need to do it as well. Uh, look, I agree with that. That doesn't mean that you don't keep trying to change the rules right. to make them better. But when you're going into election, you play by the rules that are that are in place. Exactly. And they do it so well. We've got we've to bring our game up. Hans, always a pleasure. We won't wait so long for the next time. That, that sounds good to me. Thanks. All right. You take care. All right, and I got to tell you, folks, one of the things that I truly, truly have been grateful for over these years is that certain guests who have appeared on my program, when they first appeared on my program, like, you know, people knew of them and they were, you know, they were just brilliant and all this other stuff, but all of them have risen to enormous heights. I guess if you're around as long as I've been, you're going to see your original guests now are everybody's guests. But Hans is one of the best, especially when it comes to election reform. Anyway, don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson, and then all the evening guys, Joe Paggs, Lars Larson. And then tomorrow morning, it's uh, Football Friday. I heard Jen say it, that even Bill's going to be waking up in Arizona to participate in their... I don't know. They all make bets or something. I don't know if we're allowed to make bets on the air. I guess they just pretend they're making bets on the air, something like that. Anyway, with what I know about about football, the only thing I can tell you is I'm betting on Prime. I think that Colorado (laughs) is going the whole way with Dad and his two sons. Anyway, stay right where you are. I have one more segment left. I'll be right back. So if you're wondering why the uh, markets are negative right now, uh, of course, there's a couple of things that are playing into this. One is there are some signs coming out of the Fed that later this year they could raise interest rates, even though they avoided an interest rate increase. But of course, the other thing, well, there's a couple other things. Actually, when I think about it, you got the United Auto Workers strike going on, and now you have the UAW's leader, this guy Fain, in a in a peepee battle with uh, Donald Trump. I, I love the way you cannot contain Trump, whether he's in office or out of office. He's just going to say what he's thinking. And he, he's thinking that there should be resolve for this strike and that if he were the president, there would be. And that he doesn't believe that the leadership of this union is actually looking out for the people. Now, for him to say that, 
would definitely irritate the leadership of the union. But he doesn't care because he knows when he gets elected, you notice I said when he gets elected, that uh, they're going to have to sit at a negotiating table with him, like it or not. Just like right now, the rebels in the Republican Party, as they're being called, are going to get to sit and have a conversation because it's over. They're in recess. The House recessed after the defense bill and the funding of the government all blew up in McCarthy's face. And it sends a message that the caucus is not ready to come together. They want something for their votes. Their constituents want something. We don't want to fund a never-ending war. I don't care how many times Zelensky you know, does a, 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 a striptease on the Capitol steps. I don't care how many times he dines with the president. I don't care how many people give him a standing ovation at the United Nations. I don't care. I do care that the American people are struggling right now, and our political class seems completely oblivious to that. They're more worried about, you know, do we have enough transgendered seamen? And I mean seamen like in the Navy. The, you know, they expect us to go along to get along. The Pentagon funding bills, well, they always get approved by wide margins. Ooh, you know, the, a rules vote that, pa that fails, that's a dress rehearsal for a final vote. Oh, giving leadership a sense of where they stand. Well, let me tell leadership where you stand. You're in deep doo-doo, <laughs> Speaker McCarthy, because you got a couple of people in there that are saying, hey, this is what I told my constituents, Byron Donalds. I, I sat with him at the Club 47, and he said to me, I can't go back to my constituents and tell them I didn't have the guts to try and stand against this madness. You know, I, it doesn't take a political genius to know that your constituents at home are struggling to pay their mortgages, can't buy a home, right? Can't afford their property insurance. They walk into grocery stores and they're overwhelmed at the price of comestibles that they need for their families. They can't buy a used car. We're now in the market for my grandson for a used car. The prices are ridiculous. I mean, they're absolutely ridiculous. And, and the people up in Washington have the audacity to tell me that they're more concerned about whether or not people who are in the United States military can obtain a taxpayer-funded abortion than they are at who's going to lead the United States military. So uh, uh, it doesn't bother me that they recessed before passing a defense bill. Not, a, not one bit. Get down to the brass tacks. We'll pass a defense bill, but you need cuts in there, including at the Pentagon. What's going on at the Pentagon? That's all I want to know. You got all this money being pumped into CRT and DEI and LMNOP and QRS and, you know, and, and our military is weak and insipid. We're giving, our two, we're giving all of our ammunition, we're giving um, might to the Ukraine. And look, I don't care what Zelensky told them today, they're losing, okay? So we could keep giving them stuff. I don't think they're going to be able to turn this around. That's just my feeling. So maybe somebody ought to be brokering a peace, right? 
I know that's a difficult concept, but it's not a difficult concept for Donald Trump. You see, Donald Trump says, I will sit down and I will broker a peace. That's all. I'll tell Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, what he can and cannot do. And I'll tell Zelensky what he should and should not accept. And we'll get a peace. That's all. This is nonsense. What's going on? Everybody uh, has seems to be clueless as to how to manage this this uh, war in Eastern Europe. Okay, not here, nowhere near us. We have nothing to do with it. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then as I always say, may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. Keep a hand on us, God. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.